Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you Again, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information. You can also contact me there on our contact page. Or you can send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, we have had a great season of cruising through the book of Romans. We're going to wrap that up today. Next week, I have my friend, Pastor Charlie Parrish, coming back on to talk about the state of the church. You're going to want to hear that episode, listen to that episode, and share it with friends. I hope this really sort of high-level overview of Paul's epistle to the church at Rome has been helpful to you. It has been a blessing to me. I teach this material at Circle Christian School to 11th and 12th graders, very smart 11th and 12th graders. And I'm going to encourage the parents of my students this year to listen to these episodes. We go into much more depth. We take a an entire school year to go through these 16 chapters, and uh, we can dive a little more into the depths than I'm, I was able to do in these uh, 45, 50-minute podcast episodes. But I hope they've been a blessing to you nonetheless. You know, my goal really is to glorify God in all of this work, but specifically with this book of Romans, I wanted to whet your appetite for this book, for all of Scripture, really, but just in kind of talking through to the extent that it could be helpful to someone, I wanted to just tell you how I, based on my study, see this book, this letter, and the beautiful truths therein. I know many of you are experts at this book. Many of you have read it many, many times like I have. And this is probably a review. I I hope just the beauty of the truth of justification by faith has leapt off of the pages. Or if you'd like to think of it as the righteousness of God as the theme. You know, we've talked a lot about who God is, who man is, and how God relates to man. Kind of uh, uh, theological fundamentals, if you will core, rude, or radical truth, that are the truths that are just essential in uh, understanding all of truth, and specifically biblical truth. Uh, biblical truth is part of all of truth, is a huge part of all of absolute truth. I mean, this, this, this concept is the reason I named the podcast over a year ago when we started, about 14 months ago when we started, we named it uh, relentless truth because that is what I want to have characterize my life, the pursuit of absolute truth. Now, I do it very imperfectly, and those of you who know me know that. This 45, 50-minute podcast episode could could give you the impression that uh, everything in my life is all buttoned up and nice and tidy, and boy, this... Uh, this fallen earth and its implications hit me squarely in the face often. 
So I am grateful for God's grace. I am grateful for this beautiful doctrine of justification by faith. I'm grateful for Paul's instruction on walking by faith. And I look forward to today just walking us through these last two chapters, chapter 15 and 16. Now, you know, there's there's not a lot of difficult material here in 15 and 16, thankfully, but there but there, there's some nuance, and uh, I, I want to talk about that. And and then I've got the challenge in chapter 16. I've got the challenge of reading through these salutations to people with some really odd names relative to our culture. So I'm going to try, and theology students, forgive me, I'm going to mispronounce some of these names when we get to chapter 16. So... Paul has uh, just talked about uh, judging each other, being gracious with each other. He's talked about uh, the liberties we have and and really, you know, ordering our lives so that we don't cause other people to stumble. Uh, it's interesting. I have a friend on uh, social media who is a kind of a street pastor. I mean, he he ministers to homeless people is sort of his focus. I knew him when he was sort of a worship pastor, I don't know what, that we called him that, or an associate pastor at a, a little church called Faith Baptist Church in Orlando years ago, and uh, had not kept in touch with him, but found him on on social media. And, and he recently has been uh, talking uh, about, and, and maybe he's done this for years, I, I don't know, I haven't been uh, tracking him uh, for long, but just talking about... Uh, theological themes and anyway in a in a discussion recently someone commented on on uh, he was talking about alcohol consumption which is kind of interesting in the context of Romans 14 and he really some of the comments were about you know what our respo- are our responsibilities and you know we have this great responsibility to live graciously with each other not you know one person is not responsible for another person's addiction problem per se, but we are to live graciously so as not to cause each other to stumble. In other words, if, if I became an alcoholic, I can't blame my friend who occasionally has a glass of wine or a beer at dinner with me for my alcoholism. I think that's pretty clear. But Paul goes beyond that in these instructions, these beautiful instructions in chapter 14. So I would encourage you to read that and then listen to this in chapter 15 because he he kind of continues this this theme of, of not stumbling and he talks about the beautiful example of Jesus Christ. We, he says in verse 1 of chapter 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And, and then he continues the thought. But I want to pause there and say, wow, isn't this countercultural for the way we live today? Isn't it even countercultural, counter to Opposite, the opposite of the way we think. So, so we ought to bear with the failings of the weak. This is, this is not the occasional failing of the strong, but those who are strong, who are grounded 
in truth, should bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. I pray often in my classes at Circle Christian School that we, in the class period, at the beginning of the class, I pray that we would build each other up. I'm not exactly quoting this, but I'm quoting this principle because I want to be sure that even with that student who might not be grounded in whatever truth, and you know, sometimes we're talking about the U.S. Constitution. I, I teach U.S. government economics and and a Bible course, so three distinct courses. And, and so I'm not just talking about teaching world religions, teaching teaching a Christian worldview. I'm talking about sometimes the U.S. Constitution, sometimes the the principle of equilibrium, or or interest rates, or or economic indicators, or the framing of the Constitution, or the First Amendment, you name it. I want to be sure that we're building each other up. Now, humanly speaking, this is challenging because our culture teaches us, in fact, the American way is to advantage yourself because of this wonderful nation, this wonderful opportunity, advantage yourself, care about you, get ahead, save for the future, make as much money as possible, drive a better car than your neighbors drive or your peers drive, live in a bigger house, buy a bigger house, buy as much house as you can possibly own. Why? Because that's the American way. There's nothing wrong with some of those things if we do them for the right reasons and we do them in moderation. But Paul's talking about something that is countercultural, not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing our neighbor for his good to build him up. And Christ is our model, our pattern, for Christ did not please himself, but the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Just this notion, I mean, think about it, and I, I know this is probably simple to many of you, it is just so profound to me that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we still opposed him, hated him, he died for us as a people. We hated him. We're haters of God in our flesh. That, that is just unheard of. I mean, I, I have seen some examples over the course of many years on this earth. I've seen some examples of people being gracious with each other. But it is rare that a human can, and only possible by God's grace, be loving and forgiving and build up another person who is his enemy, who's his neighbor. Paul talked about that at the end of chapter 12 of Romans. If you remember, you could go back and look at that in the last few verses of that chapter. Anyway, he goes on in verse 4, and he says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That is this steadfast expectation, this joyful expectation, not a wish, something more than that. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This, again and again, if you've studied Scripture, you know this, is our purpose as stated in Scripture. Again and again. To glorify God. To bring glory to God. To magnify His name. And, and if you say, wow, that just sounds arrogant. Here we are reading inspired scripture, scripture inspired by God, and God wants glory for himself. That sounds selfish. No, not when you're God, it isn't. Not when you're perfect. Not when you have his character. It would, it would actually be wrong if God didn't want to be glorified. God wouldn't be God. And, and, and you can get into the whole, you know, God loves himself and, 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 and I, I, you know, I, I've been around theologians who love to talk about that and I, I, and that's true, but he's righteous, he's pure and must be glorified. Writers in the New Testament talk all the time, including Jesus, talk all the time about the New Testament summary of the law being to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul didn't, I mean, it doesn't really seem that he intended to say that here, but that's what he's saying. He's kind of backdooring into that by using this strong and weak language, but he's, he's saying that our purpose is to glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, I've been guilty of this before. You ever have someone knock on your door and you weren't inspect you you weren't expecting anyone and 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 it's someone you know, either a neighbor or a friend or something. We live in a gated community, so we don't get surprised too much, but but even then. And and you know, say it's someone you know fairly well and they want to tell you about something or something's wrong with your house or or they're wondering if you saw something that happened down the street or or they just stopped by and delivered a book or a, a flower or whatever. And, and you're really not glad to see them, but you pretend you are. And you, and you really don't want them to come in your home, but, but you say, oh, come in. And you're so relieved when they say, no, I'm in a hurry. I, I, I think you get the idea. Well, Paul is actually talking about something much deeper than that, but I think it's helpful to, to understand that this notion of being welcoming, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Be a, be a welcoming person. Together with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My goodness. Think, think of all the things we could talk about here. Dissension, strife, conflict, all of that. Not allowed not contemplated, discouraged, not even referenced here. And, and, you know, we think so often, and I, I get, you know, I value ministries that are kind of these ministry watchdogs to point out error. But, you know, it's like my friend Janet Mefford said on this podcast months ago, back when we first started, almost a year ago. It has been a year ago, actually. And, it's like she said, we also, we can call out error, and we should if it's, if it's heresy, but 
we also are supposed to build each other up with one voice. That doesn't mean you just accept any old doctrine, any old theology, but it does mean that we try to find common ground, that we try to focus on the essentials, and that we aren't just noodling each other to death. And we're to be welcoming. We're to welcome one another. If Christ can welcome us, think about that. There's a, there's a much bigger gap between God himself and the person of Jesus Christ and us than there is from us one to the other morally. I mean, we are haters of God, dirty, rotten sinners. Paul talked about this with those 14 counts back in chapter 3. And, and yet he still welcomes us, not just welcomes us. He died for us, conquering sin and death, was raised on the third day, seen by many, ascended, sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, loving us extravagantly. Surely, Paul is saying, we could, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ together by welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us. When we focus on what Christ has done for us, isn't it easier for us to love each other? And I find certain personality types annoying. There are some people out there who find my personality annoying, I would imagine. In fact, I'm certain of it. And, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an overarching thing that says, hey, even though that person whistles, which really does irritate me, or hums, or doesn't do something the way I'd like to see it done, or grew up differently than I did, or pronounces their words differently, or uses bad grammar even, or whatever it is, or has a style that's different, pulls for a different football team, or baseball team, or has different hobbies, or just thinks differently than I do, I I still should be welcoming. We should be welcoming because of Christ welcoming us for the glory of God. Now, all those things I just named, many of those things are very trivial, aren't they? We're not talking trivia here. We're talking serious focus on who Jesus Christ is, and we should have a big tent that is very welcoming. Yes, that's right. That means progressives are welcome in my tent. Democrats are welcome in my tent, even though I'm not a Democrat. Republicans who are alt-right are welcome in my tent. Yes, I said that, and I, I mean that. That doesn't mean I want to become them, but, but it does mean that they're welcome. So you get the idea. Since we're just surveying here, I don't want to get bogged down. Verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, so he's talking about the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And here's, here's a not tangential, but related purpose and in order that the Gentiles 
might glorify God for his mercy. If you've ever been taught that the Gentiles just aren't important and that the law and Jesus Christ and all of these truths and the cross really relate to Jewish people only, you've been mistaught. And Paul, who is a Jew, but was also born a Roman citizen and is the apostle to the Gentiles, makes that crystal clear right here. So get that out of your head once and for all. The gospel is for the Jewish people and the Gentiles. I think you know that by now. And then he goes on. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, he's quoting the Old Testament. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to the rule to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Then Paul goes on in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Again, that word hope really means something like joyful expectation or anticipation. Then he says, I myself in verse 14 am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, just an odd, perhaps counterintuitive observation here. Do you notice the joy Paul has because of the gospel and he's describing his work and he says, you know, I might, I might've been a little bold with you here. I'm doing it to remind you. I realize I'm, I'm probably not telling you anything new, but I'm, I want to boldly proclaim this truth to help you focus. Notice Paul doesn't sort of wallow in his sin of his former life. So easy for us to do that, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm Paul could have said, no, I can't do it. I'm disqualified. Yeah, he is disqualified humanly, isn't he? He's probably a murderer, murderer of Christians, murderer of martyrs. But no, Paul is rejoicing in Christ and the beauty of the gospel. And you can tell he is just simply pleased, thrilled with the work he gets to do. 
That's what he's talking about here. So then he, he is very human in this next section. He says in verse 22, this is the reason why I have often been hindered from coming to you. This, this desire to preach where other people haven't gone to, to people who haven't been reached with the gospel. That's what he's talking about. Verse 23, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Remember, he's writing this from Corinth, we believe. And the reason we believe it is really chapter 16 and our knowledge of history and timing and so on. The people he references were in Corinth. Some of them were. And remember, he was afraid for his life as he went on to Jerusalem. And he says in verse 25, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have some to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in material blessings. Isn't that something? Paul didn't hesitate to talk about money and sharing in the needs of the saints. When therefore, verse 28, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul's relationship with God was such that he knows that he will come to them with the blessing of Christ. I make a lot of decisions, and I know you do too. And, and I'm, I'm really a second guesser of decisions. I want to have the kind of relationship with God where I know that I am coming to people in the fullness of the blessing of Christ as Paul is here. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He's begging them. He's appealing to them again, beseeching them to pray for him. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul is choosing these words very carefully. He isn't just choosing like I do when I write sometimes. And, and, you know, words that are just kind of in the ballpark, you read it later and you go, oh, I could have been so much more specific. Well, no, Paul is, Paul is choosing the exact words that should be chosen here. You can talk about the, the God of peace. He's talking about the threats to his life as he goes to Jerusalem. And then he says, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Then we go to Chapter 16, which in my Bible is titled Personal Greetings, and that's kind of obvious. And I'm, I'm about to butcher a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of names here. So here we go. I commend you to our sister Phoebe. Now, now she's the one who we believe delivered the letter, that the, the written, handwritten version of the letter, took it from Corinth to Rome. A servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord, a worthy, a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. 
for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Paul is just so human as he does these greetings. This is worth reading. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who were with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Wow, Paul knew a lot of people, and he knew a lot about them, and he knew where they were spiritually. But before the Lord, he knew their history. He had, he had fellowshiped with the saints, hadn't he? I, I think that's one of the lessons here. His knowledge wasn't casual. And, he, and he, has, he, he talks about little specifics with these people as he goes through this. Then listen to this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. You have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the, na- of, of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Mm. He loves these people. And he says in verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You get that? The God of peace will crush Satan, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm not sure what he's talking about there. Is he talking about Caesar? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now listen to this ending. Here it is. 
Now to him who's able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Just take a look at that. Romans 16, 20, verse 25, through the end of the chapter, verse 27. It's just beautiful the way Paul glorifies God in his writing. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now that... That all sounds, that doxology at the end sounds simple and straightforward. Beautiful, right? But simple and straightforward. Well, can you imagine the people in Rome reading this? Can can you imagine one of the idol worshipers reading this? To the only wise God be glory for everyone. It's it's similar, I think, although this is an imperfect analogy, to, to us talking about absolute truth the only true God in in a world that doesn't believe that, that doesn't even believe in truth anymore, believes all truth is relative. In fact, they don't even believe in relativism anymore. They they believe that one person, I mean, they, they believe in so much relativism that relativism doesn't go far enough. They believe one person can have their truth, another can have their truth. And if you claim that your truth is absolutely true, then you are a bigot, you're narrow-minded, you're... You're even cruel. I know Paul, Paul makes it clear that, that there's one God, the only wise God. He's calling all their idols fools, isn't he? Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. I, I hope I have just a fraction of Paul's courage. I certainly don't have his eloquence. You're keenly aware of that if you've been with me through these podcast episodes. But I just want to have his courage to tell the truth. And, he, and you know, he does it in a kind way. It, it's really funny back in, in, in chapter 15 when he, when he says, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You know, I, I, I know you can instruct each other, he says. I know I'm not really necessarily telling you anything new, although I think he is, certainly with additional perspective. But on some points I've written to you very boldly, I know I've been aggressive, but it's by way of reminder, he says. So I would encourage you to read these chapters. If, if you have time and you could, you could read through the book of Romans once a week or, or you know, every few days and, and do it again and again and again, maybe 10 times. I, I, and, and read it, you have to kind of pinch yourself and sit up straight and make sure that you're trying at least to comprehend as you go. I just think you'll be, you'll just be amazed at what you see. It's amazing to me that even having taught these classes for years, and I, I still, as, I, as I'm reading today to you, I'm, I'm struck by truth that I didn't really see clearly or a perspective or an emphasis or a nuance here or there. 
This, this has just been a beautiful trip through Romans. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope you'll take me up on this and, and, and read further. We're going to talk next week about the state of the church, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about having Pastor Charlie Parrish of Foothills Community Church up in beautiful Marblehead, Georgia, about an hour's drive north, not quite an hour, but almost an hour north of Metro Atlanta in the foothills of the mountains. It is it is called Foothills Community Church for a reason, and it is beautiful. If you check your weather app, if you have an iPhone or some other app, look up uh, Jasper, Georgia, or Big Canoe, Georgia, or Marble Hill, Georgia, or even Dawsonville, but all those little towns right in there, and they're not so little anymore, but they they enjoy weather that is way cooler than it is in Florida right now, and probably than it is where you are. Your weather's probably beginning to transition. Ours is not, and it does not until late October or even November, as you probably know. Well, this has been a blessing. Thank you for your support of Relentless Truth. Uh, come back next week. Um, and, 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 and please share these episodes on Romans, these, these many, I think it's been 18, 19 episodes. I hope you'll share them with your friends. Your positive feedback is so valuable. You might think, oh, you probably hear some people all the time. And, and I, I do on a regular basis, and I'm grateful for that. But every comment is just encouraging. I'm, I'm grateful for you and uh, plan to continue this, this good work. This is uh, work that it is a privilege to do. And uh, we're going we're gonna to be embarking on some topics. I'm, I'm, after uh, Charlie's episode next week, I'm going to come back to talk about economics again. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about government because we have midterm elections coming up. That's kind of exciting. We'll do all this in the context of biblical truth. So again, thank you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. If you click on the CFS Financial tab, you'll get to see the work I do with nonprofit organizations across the country. That is exciting and also very rewarding work. Uh, you can also send a, an email directly to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Com. I, I respond to all of those inquiries and really appreciate your perspectives. I look forward to being with you along with Pastor Charlie Parrish next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. John Warren.